Welcome everyone to the horse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of the Horse.com. Uh, tonight, our topic is managing the PPID horse, and it is brought to you by Behringer Ingelheim. Before we get started, I just want to clarify for everyone who's listening, if you signed up to get a reminder for this event tonight um, and are not registered with thehorse.com, if you want to get reminders for upcoming events, we need you to go on there and register to get notifications. So you go under newsletters and then click on uh, special announcements. So that way you don't miss any of these events we have coming up. We do these um, once a month. So now we can jump in. We are joined tonight by our experts, Dr. Diane McFarland of Oklahoma State University and Dr. Marion Little uh, with Behringer. And I want to start with Dr. McFarland. Can you tell us a little bit about your research and your interest in horses with PPID? Um, yes, I started studying PPID, I think it's been about 12 years ago now, and I'm particularly interested in understanding what causes the condition as well as working on diagnostic tests and treatment protocols. And my interest grew from just being in practice and having so many older horses that I was caring for and um, wanting to learn more about how to best care for them. Okay. And Dr. Little, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background and your interest in PPID? Sure. And hello, everyone. Welcome. I've been a professional services veterinarian with Beringer Ingelheim since 2007, and I served on the original team, which was dedicated to bringing Prefin to the U.S. horse industry. I've unfortunately lost two horses in my lifetime uh, to PPID, so I can certainly say that I understand the challenges that many of you face. So this event is an hour long, and we received hundreds of questions like we always do for the event. Um, our topic tonight, we're going to really focus on managing horses with PPID. Um, if you have any questions, if you're listening and you have any questions about PPID as far as diagnosis and all the clinical signs and all the research that's going on, we've created an article um, on the horse with a bunch of resources. There's 10 resources on there. If you are listening live, don't close your window that you're in because in your browser because you'll close your event and not list, be able to listen. Um, what you want to do is open a new browser window and go to thehorse.com slash PPID and you can see those articles that we have for everyone. Hopefully that'll help you out because I know people have a ton of questions about PPID and their older horses. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, if you're listening live and you have a follow-up question to one of the answers uh, that the doctors give us, you can go ahead and, as always, type your question into your browser console and send that in to us. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Little, um, and just briefly, and I know it's hard because this is kind of a complex disease, but can you tell us a little bit about what PPID is? Certainly. PPID, also known as equine-cushing disease, is the most common endocrine or hormonal disorder of aging horses. The prevalence of PPID, how common it is, in other words, is estimated to be about 15 to 30 percent of horses over the age of 15, but I personally think that's probably an underestimate when we think of horses that may have more subtle or harder to recognize clinical signs. 
PPID stands for pituitary pars intermediate dysfunction, and it involves chronic degeneration of dopamine-secreting neurons over time, and this results in loss of dopamine's controlling effect to the pituitary. What we then see is enlargement of the intermediate lobe of the pituitary and increased secretion of hormones like ACTH, which you may have heard of. There is no gender uh, predilection for PPID, although we do see some breeds like ponies and morgans uh, overrepresented from time to time. Uh, critical signs that you may see in your horse early on, we may see changes in behavior, we may see loss of the top line, we may see secondary infections or hair coat changes like delayed shedding. Uh, later on, we may see more obvious or generalized signs. You may think of the horse that's your typical woolly mammoth, if you will. Uh, and we may see also development of a leaner body condition. Uh, there's also certainly a group of, of PPID horses that exhibit increased thirst and increased urination. That's called PUPD. Uh, abnormal fat deposits and sweating abnormalities, which we'll talk about. And, of course, probably one clinical sign that you've heard of is laminitis, and this is uh, thought to be related to problems with insulin. And I believe Dr. McFarland will discuss that at length later on. Yeah, and actually we have a question that's from Lisa in Australia, and she was wondering what the differences are between insulin resistance, which we hear so much about, and PPID. Are they one and the same, or are they two different conditions that that seem to come together. Dr. McFarlane, can you give us an answer on that? Um, yes, and I think this is a really important point because there's a lot of confusion about these two conditions. Um, so I was glad to get this question from Lisa. Um, about a third to half of the horses that have PPID will also have dysregulation of insulin. Um, and they will be, um, this is what we call insulin resistance. These horses will have high insulin concentrations if you measure it in their blood, either if you just measure it at rest, but particularly if you give them a meal or a sugar challenge, their insulins go very high. And we now know that high insulin is the cause of laminitis or founder. So about a third to a half of horses with PPID are at high risk of uh, foundering because of this insulin. That also means that about two-thirds to a half are not at risk. Um, and so there are two conditions, and these two conditions can happen together, and you can have PPID and insulin dysregulation in the same horse, and those are the ones we need to be very cautious of um, how we feed them and um, whether they're getting um, turned out on grass is a risk. But if they don't have abnormal insulin, then the horse with PPID can be allowed to go out on um, pasture and um, fed. These are usually th the thinner horses, and we are more um, feeding them to maintain weight rather than to lose weight. Our next question is for Dr. Little, and it came from Bridget in Canada. And Bridget would like a comment on how effective pergolide is as a treatment for horses with PPID, as well as the possible side effects and whether treating with pergolide on a seasonal basis uh, is an effective strategy. Do you have some information for Bridget? Yes, and thank you, Bridget, for the question. Back in the 80s, we determined that horses with PPID have about an eight-fold decrease in dopamine in the pituitary. And so since that time, 
pergolide, now percent, is considered the treatment of choice for PPID. There are over 25 published references from the past 30 years describing pergolide's usefulness in improving clinical signs and test results in horses with PPID. Uh, really, the most recent one and a very significant study being the 2009 study conducted to garner FDA approval of Presen here in the U.S., in this study, 76% of 113 horses with confirmed PPID were dreamed, deemed treatment successes. And that's a dramatic result when you think that only 40% was required for FDA approval. You mentioned side effects. The most common side effects of pergolide use in the horse is inappetence or loss of appetite. And this did occur in about 30% of horses in the percent study. Uh, however, there were only two that required a dose reduction, and they both returned to a normal dose within the first month. As far as the most uh, effective dose for your horse and seasonal use, the recommended starting dose of percent is about one milligram for 1,000 pounds. And I do recommend that these horses should be monitored and adjusted appropriately to control both clinical signs and test results. Um, seasonal use of pertolide, we certainly don't have any uh, data showing intermittent use of pertolide. Um, although given the mechanism, mechanism of the drug and what we know about the disease, I would personally be skeptical that we could certainly just treat in the fall and then expect adequate control throughout the rest of the year. We just currently don't have that data on interval or intermittent treatment with Presend. Okay. Our next question is for Dr. McFarlane, and it came from Jean, who's in California. And Jean wants to know, how does pergolide work and what are the results from using it? So pergolide is what we call a dopamine agonist, and the word agonist means that it is um, mimetic or something that acts similar to the chemical that it is um, mimicking. And so pergolide in the body acts like dopamine, and as Dr. Little's already described, PPID is the result of a loss of dopamine in the pituitary. So when we give pergolide, it replaces that loss dopamine and thereby it decreases the hormones that are being released from the pituitary gland. And when we get those hormones back into a normal concentration, the clinical signs that go with PPID, so the loss of muscle mass, the hair coat changes, the susceptibility to um, infectious disease, those will resolve as we get the hormones back into a normal concentration. Our next question is for Dr. Little, and it came from Gabby in California. And Gabby says that pergolide equals percent, uh, that percent is the FDA-approved form for the horses of pergolide, um, and that pergolide has been banned from the human market because it had a risk of heart problems to those who took it. Why is it used in horses, and is there any concern for horses? Well, that's a great question, Gabby. Thank you. Pertolide was historically used for treatment of human Parkinson's disease, and Parkinson's is another disease involving in part chronic loss of dopamine. Pertolide was taken off of the human market in the U.S., some people taking pertolide long-term, greater than six months, or at higher doses, uh, for example, greater than three milligrams, developed 
fibrosis of heart valves. And this is not an issue in horses, and this is likely due to differences in dosing versus body weight. You can imagine that three milligrams of pergolide uh, in a human sounds very substantial as far as a dose. There are differences in heart muscle receptors that are stimulated and uh, um, some other minor differences between uh, humans and horses. In all of those references that I mentioned earlier uh, in regards to the historical use of pergolide, there were no issues noted with cardiac arrhythmias or, or abnormalities. But really to put this question to rest, I'll reference again the Persend uh, study. There was a Persend target animal safety study, which was a six-month study, and this evaluated 32 horses at elevated doses of Persend. And there were no cardiac abnormalities observed uh, clinically or either on uh, necropsy in these horses. I would also add that these horses were evaluated by a board-certified cardiologist, so they underwent quite a thorough examination uh, uh, to a great degree to evaluate them for uh, problems as far as cardiac uh, abnormalities. So you really should be comfortable that this concern does not exist for horses on pergolide or percent. Okay. Our next question uh, is for Dr. Little again, and it's, uh, a question from Joan in Virginia, and Joan has a 200-pound mini that has PPID, and she wants to know if minis are dosed similarly to normal-sized horses. Yes, yeah, thanks, Joan, for the question. There were ponies included in the percent efficacy study, and these ponies were dosed at a half milligram, and the label dosing, again, would be 2 micrograms per kilogram body weight. Uh, and if you look on the percent label, uh, it notes uh, ponies at half a milligram. So that would be the recommended starting dose for ponies and some minis. But it's always a good idea uh, to watch some of the smaller guys for inappetence or loss of appetite when you start any medication, and certainly true when you start uh, percent as well. I think that it's intuitive for us all to think that ponies and minis would require lower doses uh, per body weight because they're small little guys, but they tend to be worse in terms of PPID clinical signs. They tend to be worse in terms of progression of disease over time. And as Dr. McFarlane uh, has alluded to as far as insulin dysregulation, they tend to be uh, uh, the worst of the worst in terms of insulin dysregulation. So half a milligram would be the recommended starting dose for, for ponies. And Dr. Mar McFarland, the next question is for you, and it came in from Margaret in South Carolina. And Margaret has a 25-year-old quarter horse gelding who was diagnosed with PPID last year, and he's currently being treated with Percent. The clinical sign that he had shown was that he was sweating when the other horses were not. Uh, she says that his winter coat is longer than the other horses, but it's not excessively long, and he does shut out almost completely, or at least did last summer. Um, he just started shedding out this year's winter coat, and she wants to know what signs would indicate that his dose would need to be increased or adjusted. So before I actually answer Margaret's question on the signs to change dose, I did want to um, just highlight that Margaret was very um, uh, good, had some good observation because one of the early signs of uh, this disease can be when a horse sweats excessively, and so it is something that 
you should be watching for in horses. It may happen before the haircut's abnormal, as she has indicated, and it is a subtle sign that you want to do some testing in that horse. So when do you know that you need to change the dose or if you need to change the dose? Well, ideally, when you are diagnosing PPID, you've done this both using the clinical signs of the horse as well as having your veterinarian perform a diagnostic test. And so both of these can be used to indicate that the dose needs to be adjusted. And so if there's an indication that the clinical signs are not resolving or are worsening, then the ideal thing to do is to go ahead and retest that animal using the same diagnostic test and see if, in fact, they are um, losing regulation. If they were tested with an ACTH, is that ACTH now higher? And use those two pieces of information, clinical signs and test results, to go ahead and determine if the dose needs to be increased. And so if the horse is starting to look like it's not doing as well, then a visit from the veterinarian and testing would be the ideal approach. Okay. Thank you, Dr. McFarland. And we have our first follow-up question from our live audience. Um, and I'm going to send this to Dr. McFarland, and, and maybe Dr. Little can jump in and help as well. But we have um, a listener, um, Luis in Maryland, who wants to know what percentage of ponies are found to have Cushing's and or insulin resistance, and how many are diagnosed at a relatively young age. So, uh, Dr. McFarland, do you have exact numbers on that, or is it just more of them than, than the big guys? I do not know the exact numbers of those. I would say that they probably, um, by the time they're older, we're probably looking at, and by older I mean late 20s, they're Dr. Little, do you have an actual number before I go forward? <laughs> no, I do not. I, 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 was, okay. uh, I, was, uh, I was actually going to provide the same comment. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not. What I would say is that um, they probably are hitting, instead of 30%, about 50%. Ponies often live a little bit longer, and so it's not necessarily that they're getting it earlier. When I say it, I mean PPID. It's not necessarily that they're getting PPID earlier, um, but they do tend to live a little longer, and we see probably a guess, and this is a guess not based on um, epidemiological studies, that as many as half, if they're living into their 30s, are, are probably affected. Would you say that's probably fair, Dr. Little? I would, I would say that's fair, yes. I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah. And then as far as the insulin dysregulation or insulin resistance, um, they are also more at risk of that. And as Dr. Little already discussed, that, that can be, they can be the worst of the worst. And those are those fat ponies that you have that they are bred to be thrifty and therefore they are more at risk of having both of the conditions. And these are the ones we really have to watch their feet because of the risk of having them uh, founder. So, Dr. McFarland, I have to say, I don't know that I've ever known a pony that wasn't a fat little thrifty pony. <laughs> well, there's some apparently in Europe. So, if we have people following us in Europe, there are some breeds, and we had some in Canada that were not the same genetic background as our um, American ponies. And so, yes, I'd have to say most of them are fat, thrifty, and when they get, um, if they get, if they hang around into their 30s, they stop shedding very well. So. The, um, that is probably our most typical pony. <laughs> yeah, hairy, fat ponies. I love yeah. them. <laughs> um, our next question is from Bet in um, 
in Michigan. And Dr. Little, I'm going to toss this one over to you. She said that after testing um, showed elevated cortisol levels, they, she started one of her horses on percent. She wants to know if he or should he be retested on a scheduled basis to monitor the cortisol level and to adjust the medication by that testing? Is that something that you would recommend? Yes, and just maybe a side comment on that. Uh, Dr. McFarland has already alluded to diagnostic testing, but I'm going to assume that the cortisol level that uh, Beth mentions is based on the overnight dexamethasone suppression test and not just a resting cortisol for monitoring because resting cortisol or a single sample uh, would not be recommended as a a viable test, if you will, for PPID. I would recommend retesting for horse 30 days after starting treatment and ideally six months thereafter, uh, scheduling one recheck in the fall when horses are likely to become unregulated with the seasonal increase in pituitary activity. Uh, The upper end of the dose range, uh, 4%, uh, would be uh, uh, four micrograms per kilogram, or for a thousand pound horse, that's uh, two tablets. Um, some uh, members of the uh, endocrinology group, and Dr. McFarland certainly a member of that, do recommend a higher, more flexible dosing range before considering uh, dual treatment in some horses that are uh, more advanced. Uh, but this would be an extra label recommendation uh, from Prescend. Uh, just some things to consider. Uh, if you're dealing with uh, an advanced case of PPID, it may not be possible to hit your normal reference range values, although your horse may be responding quite well clinically. He may be shedding out really well. His body weight may be returning. So in these cases, you can either uh, continue to try to raise the dose of pergolide to hit the reference range value, or you can stay the course if your horse is clinically improved. In milder or earlier cases, however, I do feel it's more important to try to uh, gain both improvement in clinical signs and reach normal reference range values. Uh, the important take-home message for uh, BET, I think, is to reiterate not to get overly focused on hitting a particular number and try to focus on a significant improvement in clinical signs and, when possible, significant improvement in test results as well. Um, Our next question is for Dr. McFarlane, and it came in from Val in Vermont. And Val says, is it a foregone conclusion that a horse diagnosed with PPID will continue to need percent for the remainder of his or her life? Dr. McFarlane, what are your thoughts on that? Well, right now, um, I'd have to say the answer to Val's question is yes. Um, And part of that, I think, is because we tend to diagnose these horses once they have um, fairly significant disease. Maybe in the future, if we get very good at recognizing these horses earlier on, we maybe and understand a little bit more what's going on with the dopaminergic neurons, um, we may be able to change that answer. But right now, when we diagnose these horses, they have significantly um, lost their ability to make dopamine in their pituitary. And so we do need to end up replacing that dopamine, usually for life. 
Now, one good piece of information that comes from some work from Dr. Schott up in Michigan State is that many horses actually do not have to have increased doses over life, but are able to be maintained on a um, consistent dose over a very long period of time and do quite well at that. So as we've already talked a bit about, following these horses, both their clinical signs and their diagnostic tests over time will help us know whether we need to change that dose or not. Excuse me. Uh, Our next question is for Dr. McFarlane, and it came in from uh, Lila in South Carolina. And she says that last December, her PPID horse got loose manure in December and then on and off all winter. At the time, he was on a liquid compounded pergolide. She said this year he is on Persend and that she has upped the dose for a seasonal rise and then cut back in December and that he immediately got loose manure again. What are the possible causes? Um, Well, there's two things that I... uh, First, I'll answer the possible cause, but I want to make a comment on... um, Uh, Lila's question as well. One of the things to remember about the disease is that with PPID, the horses have um, a decreased ability to deal with both infection as well as parasites. And we did a study where we looked at horses that had PPID and they had higher fecal egg counts. So if she hasn't already looked at it, I would recommend that Lila does a fecal egg count on her horse and be sure that the horse is uh, dealing with the parasite load that it's going to be exposed to and do strategic deworming in consultation with her veterinarian. Um, So that would be my first thought as far as um, the loose manure that is responding to the percent. So when she's got the dose higher, the immune system is probably working better and so she should investigate parasites. The other point I want to make on here, um, are we, do we have a question later um, coming up about compounded pergolide, or shall I address that right now? Oh, you, um, you're welcome to address that now. Okay, I just want to say that um, we did have, um, at one point, no available manufactured pergolide, and I know some people started using compounded pergolide, um, but actually I do see that um, I'm going to say something about it in just a second. Um, We need to be very cautious because the compounded pergolide has um, a lot of problems with it that uh, we'll discuss in just a minute. And so... I've heard both of you mention, well, we've had lots of questions about changing the dosage of the medication, um, and I'm hearing a lot about testing. How important, Dr. McFarlane, is the horse owner's relationship with their vet managing their horse with PPID? Is it a constant communication about that horse? I think it's really important to um, have your vet involved in this disease. There's a lot of, as we've alluded to, there's a lot of complexity to this disease, both in how you diagnose it and how you treat it. I think the owners are, their information is extremely critical, and I really recommend that people keep good records on their horses when their horse shed out year to year, how their horse's feet are doing, how the horse's appetite is doing. Keep good records, take body um, condition scores and take a weight tape out and keep track of the weight so that they can notice very early when there's a problem and contact their veterinarian. And then they should schedule routine um, checks with their veterinarian so that they can be sure that everything is going well because I think this is a disease that... You can have a really great outcome, but you have to keep on top of it. Okay. 
And then Dr. McFarland, our next question is for you, and it's um, from Snowden in Pennsylvania. And the question is about a 16-year-old gelding that shows some clinical signs of PPID, although his ACTH uh, tests were normal. He has muscle lo- loss in the long curly coat that, that we're familiar with, and that he's also had reoccurring laminitis despite having his diet very controlled and having good exercise. She said that the vet has recommended um, or suggested possibly starting the horse on Percend. Uh, is, what is the current thinking of an equine endocrinologist on using uh, or treating PPID uh, preemptively? So in this particular case, I wouldn't actually call it preemptively. She has some very good clinical signs and a good clinical indication that this horse has PPID. And so if you suspect it, the horse almost always has it because the test results only become positive later in disease. Now, what she has indicated in in, in um in this writing is that it was an ACTH and there is actually a newer test that can be done um, and we're not going to spend much time on the testing, but a response to TRH where we measure ACTH that might uh, already be abnormal in this horse. So if it was just a resting ACTH, there is one more test that's a little bit um, more capable of picking up early earlier signs of disease. But this is a horse that already shows several clinical signs of the condition and I would say, yes, this is a horse that is um, very likely going to benefit from percent. Um, so we have a follow-up question from Kathy in Seattle, and I'm going to toss this one over to you, Dr. Little. Uh, Kathy is asking if finances are a concern, what would be your advice to prioritize testing for your horse that you believe has PPID? That's a very common question. Thank you for that. Um, certainly, finances are on everyone's mind in this in this day and age. And it, to me, it kind of depends on where that horse may be at in terms of clinical signs of disease. In more advanced uh, cases where the horse has overt clinical signs of disease, like the long, shaggy hair coat, uh, muscle-wasting, PUPD, I think diagnostic testing is less important important because you have glaring clinical signs that indicate, as Dr. McFarland alluded to in the previous question, um, treatment with uh, protolyte would be warranted. Uh, I think diagnostic testing in earlier disease is a bit more um, critical because if you do have subtle PPID, I know I, as a horse owner, I would want to know that daily medication was necessary. So that's when I would really push to get a baseline diagnostic test in a horse with more subtle clinical signs, uh, perhaps a you know recurrent infection that seems problematic or change in behavior, things like that that just aren't as glaring um, to you, the horse owner. So in those cases, I would want a diagnostic test to establish do we indeed have PPID, and then once we start treatment, I would also ideally want a follow-up diagnostic test in that horse to make sure that we are are on the uh, most effective dose to control clinical signs as well as test results in uh, the case of earlier PPID and then a follow-up rechecks as well. So um, in short, in advanced cases, it's less critical to do diagnostic testing, but earlier, more subtle PPID, I do think it is critical from a management standpoint. 
Our next question is for Dr. McFarlane, and it came in from Vernice in Davis, California. And Vernice says that she has a 22-year-old Morgan mare who was diagnosed with PPID in 2012 and that the horse is doing uh, fairly well on pergolide. She said that her concern is that the mare isn't drinking enough water, which seems to result in dry manure and, and possible bouts of colic. She said that before pergolide, the mare drank five gallons of water per day. Now she's only drinking about two. Can pergolide reduce thirst too much? Uh, and have you seen this problem in other horses? Dr. McFarlane? Thank you. Um, horses with PPID can have uh, polyuria and polydipsia, which Dr. Little um, told us earlier is drinking uh, too much water and urinating more frequently. Five gallons of water a day, though, it really isn't excessive water drinking, and so it doesn't appear to have been a clinical sign in this horse prior to treatment. I have not ever seen pergolide cause a reduction in um, thirst unless the horse is drinking excessively to start, and then it can correct those horses back to normal. But no, this is not a typical um, adverse effect of treatment of pergolide. The one thing she might want to consider is, is the horse drinking, um, since the horse went on the drug, is the horse eating the same as it was before? Because often horses drink water as they eat. Is there any change in food intake, um, hay in particular with this horse. Um, but no, pergolide does not reduce thirst. It merely corrects if there are, are a horse that is excessively drinking water. Okay. Our next question, um, I'm going to give it to you, Dr. McFarlane. It's from Susie in California. And Susie wants to know if there's much difference between different pergolide products as far as effect- effectiveness. Do you have a response to that? Yeah, so I kind of hinted that I did have an opinion on that, um, and it's not just my opinion. There's actually some very good data out that looked at some of the different compounded drugs and compared it to the manufactured drug. Pergolide is extremely hard to compound, and so when companies try to compound it, if they don't have all of the right equipment like they do with the manufacturers, they will end up with a product that is not consistent So um, you will not be giving your horse the dose that you think you are. Um, It is a very unstable drug, so it can degrade very quickly. So the liquid forms degrade. It's sensitive to light and to temperature. And all of these things are taken care of when you buy the percent and it's in its um, bubble pack and it's packaged and you have instructions. But when it's compounded, two different um, investigators have done three different studies to show that looking at a wide variety of the compounders that the drug is not stable. And so um, if I'm spending my money, I want to spend it on something that I know is going to work. And so it really does make a difference with this particular drug. Um, and I highly recommend avoiding the compounded forms. Okay. Our next- Might I make a comment on that? Oh, yes. Yes, I'd just like to comment that there is some recent data that is not published, um, but I can share that with you involving uh, 21 additional uh, formulations of compounded pergolide, and these were looked at at uh, North Carolina State University. And out of those 21 uh, common compounded formulations from major pharmacies, 
at day zero of the six-month study, only four of those compounds met the plus or minus 10% of label concentration, which is what would be acceptable. Um, and in fact, one of those uh, four, uh, there was absolutely no pergolide detectable during that six-month time frame. So just to reiterate Diane's comment that uh, there's certainly a volume of data uh, demonstrating the uh, potency and stability issues with compounded pergolide. And I think it's important to remember, this is um, Dr. McFarlane again, I think it's important to remember that compounded drugs aren't under regulatory control. And so when you purchase it, you don't know that what it says on the label is what's in the drug. And that's exactly the problem with pergolide is that typically it's, it, it's how many was that? Two out of... 30 that yeah, you just four, said? Yeah, four out of 21. Four out of 21. Uh, four out of 21 at the plus or minus 10, 10%. Yeah, on day so one, before it even had on a chance zero. to... Right, on day zero, even before yeah. it had a chance to degrade. So, um, so I think that's really important that people recognize that it is not the same as buying the manufactured drug that is guaranteed to have what it says on the label. So, Dr. Little, I haven't had a horse um, with Cushing's, at least not recently, that I've managed. And You're so, lucky. yeah, <laughs> I, I have some middle aged ones. I'm always watching them. Um, I know too much with the job that I do now. But, um, no, um, I, I haven't actually given um, percent. Is it a pill? Because Dr. McFarland mentioned the, the bubble pack. So, is it a pill or is it a powder? It's actually a one milligram a tablet packaged in a nitrogen-filled blister pack. It's a foil blister pack. And so how do we give it to our horses? Because my next question is for you, Dr. Little, and we had several asking about uh, palatability and getting picky eaters to take their percent. Um, is it something, are there some tricks to getting them to eat it, or is it ground up before it's given? Well, absolutely. That's a that's a very common question that we field. Uh, per the label, percent should be administered orally, and it should be administered immediately once it's popped out of that foil blister pack. Um, I will tell you, many of the horses in the percent study either accepted the whole tablet in the feed, just you know, given by hand, or were administered the tablet dissolved um, in just you know, three cc syringe uh, and a few drops of water. Uh, in the case of the PPID horse that has insulin issues, my recommendations are a little bit different in how to give um, a percent as far as giving it in a treat. You can give percent, as I mentioned, either in whole as a tablet or you can dissolve it. And in the case of insulin uh, dysregulation, uh, chilled sugar-free cake frosting, low-sugar treats, sugar-free pancakes, all those things may be helpful um, to promote, you know, the horse accepting the tablet. And I would urge you to check out the, the sugar-free aisle at your grocery store for <laughs> more ideas know it well. on that to be, to be fairly practical. Um, if your horse does not have a problem with insulin dysregulation, which is the majority of, of PPID horses, then you can do pretty much anything you want. You can insert that tablet into an, an apple or carrot. You can mix it with applesauce. You can um, give it in a moist alfalfa cube. And, and that's actually kind of helpful because a moistened alfalfa cube uh, can help dissolve the tablet. Uh, I personally have given the tablet uh, by sticking it in the end of a large red grape because I found my horses 
for some reason like grapes. Uh, the take-home message is to find something that your horse likes and use that to administer the tablet, knowing that you're probably going to have to reinvent that process um, every few weeks to keep the process new. You know, if I eat ice cream every day, I'm probably going to get tired of it eventually. Oh, um, I'd never get tired of ice cream, Dr. Little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, keep in mind, too, that some horses that are really astute at being medicated, if you give the tablet um, every single time at feeding time, some of these really astute horses can get somewhat averse to, to feeding time. And so you may have to switch things up on the time of day that you give the tablet. But uh, in summary, you know, you, you can give the tablet either by itself or dissolved in water or whatever substance your horse will eat. Okay. We have a question from our live audience, and I'm going to give to you, Dr. McFarlane, and it's from Heather, who is in the United Kingdom, and she's listening live, and she would like to know if there are any issues or concerns to be aware of uh, in connection with vaccinating and deworming horses with PPID. Do you have any recommendations for those programs? As far as vaccination, <clears throat> I would say I would vaccinate a horse with PPID just as I would vaccinate a any aged horse. And so it's going to depend a little bit what their exposures are um, to different pathogens. Um, and so it's going to vary a bit both where you're located and if you have other younger animals um, on the premises, if there's show animals coming and going. Um, I would, in the States, um, recommend West Nile virus in all aged horses. Uh, they respond a little bit less vigorously to influenza, but they do respond to an influenza vaccine um, in the States, but I believe not in England. I would always vaccinate for rabies. Um, but, this, but as far as the vaccination, they respond just as any aged horse does to the best of our um, data that we have right now. There are some ongoing studies and we may have more information about that um, in the future. As far as the um, the parasite question, it's extremely important, I think, to do fecal egg counts on these animals because they can be very high shed shedders of fecal eggs, and which is going to both affect the hygiene of your pasture and would imply that the horses have a heavy load of parasites. And so you want to go ahead and do routine fecal egg counts and then do strategic deworming as they require it because of a high fecal egg count. So all of that needs to be done in consultation with, um, and, uh, with your veterinarian. And our next question is for Dr. McFarlane again. Um, this came in from Kay in Belgium. And Kay wants to know or has a horse that was diagnosed with PPID and laminitis in 2013 last spring. Uh, Kay wants to know if she can treat him like a normal horse. Can the horse be taken out on day trips to the beach or out for trail rides? Or are these days over now for her and her partner? So as far as the horse with PPID and laminitis, the, the consideration for exercise is the laminitis. A horse with PPID can continue to work, um, and if it's one of the majority of horses that doesn't have the insulin problem and doesn't have the risk of laminitis, then they are able to um, go to the beach as often as they want. Um, but what she needs to be sure of is that she doesn't 
over-exercise this horse if there's still any pain or inflammation um, in the feet. So if the laminitis is being managed and resolved, then yes, she can get this horse back in exercise. We've had horses in our herd that had bouts of laminitis. It took us quite a while, but we got it managed, and those horses went on to um, have active lives. But it is the feet that is going to be the limiting factor, and so she's going to need to work with her veterinarian and her farrier to do um, uh, corrective um, trimming and or shoeing and to do some radiographs and be sure that the horse has resolved any inflammation in the feet before they do much in the way of exercise. Okay. Now, uh, it looks like we are getting lots of questions coming in about uh, Chasberry, and our next question is about this. Uh, Dr. McFarlane, Diane in the UK wants to know or says that she's been reading a lot about herbal supplements and chasberry for horses with PPID, and she's wondering if this can be given in addition to percent or if it should be given. So chasberry is a, um, an herb uh, that has reportedly similar dopaminergic-type properties as our drug pergolide. However, in any type of a herbal supplement, we don't know year to year the amount of active substance, if there is any in it, and we don't know formulation to formulation, just as we didn't with the compound, if there's actually active product in there. Chaseberry was studied by uh, Dr. Beach at Pennsylvania, and she put um, horses with PPID on a chaseberry extract and tested to see if they had improvement and she found that it there was no improvement in her horses with chaseberry. When she switched them to pergolide, which at this time, that was uh, many years ago, it was a, a different product, but a manufactured product. Um, when she switched them to the pergolide, she did see improvement. So I would not... Um, add that to the pergolide, I would use the percent um, instead and solely the percent. And we have a question from Lisa in North Dakota, and she said that she's seen numerous different supplements on the market that seem to target or claim to help improve horses with PPID. Do any supplements or homeopathic treatments have any merit? Um, if that's still me, I'll just continue oh. on and say there's very little research done on um, any of these supplements, and the only ones that have been tested have not shown an improvement. And so right now there's nothing that I can recommend that has any science behind it to suggest that it's helpful. Did I steal that from you, Dr. Little? No, I... Not no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't give you a heads up before I read that question. Our next one is for Dr. Little, though, and it's from Dana in Florida. Uh, so get ready. Um, Dana's all question, right. <laughs> she has um, a 28-year-old mare that's been non-percent for 18 months. Uh, the horse has had no recurrence of laminitis and a more normal hair coat. She said last year she didn't shed and that she body clipped her in May, but all the hair grew back and didn't shed until July. Uh, this year she's starting to shed in February, but she seems thin. She's getting a daily horse feed um, at six quarts a day, and she said she can't feed hay because it gets bailed up and balled up in the back of the horse's mouth because her teeth are worn out due to age. She's on pasture grass. What else can she feed this horse to help improve her, her weight and condition? 
Well, first, I want to thank uh, Dana for trying for send, and I'm glad her horse is, is doing uh, quite a bit better. First off, I would recommend uh, a, a thorough dental exam by a veterinarian uh, and really do that every six months to make sure that we keep what teeth that she does have in as optimal condition as we can and also make sure that um, her mare is on a good deworming program which can assist with uh, maintenance of body condition. As far as diet, if, if she's had laminitis, and she does mention that, she probably has an issue with insulin. So we have to be careful with what we feed her uh, if we don't know for sure from the history. If she can't eat hay, I would make sure she's being fed uh, at least uh, 2% by body weight per day. Um, in what she can eat to gain weight. And I would recommend adding vegetable oil for calories, just uh, a plain uh, grocery store vegetable oil, half a cup to one cup a day. She can also possibly add uh, rinsed and soaked non-molast beet pulp into her concentrate. And she's already eating a concentrate ration in the, in the neutrina feed that she mentions. And um, that may be a good option also to add uh, some additional uh, uh, nutrients and fiber. It's also a good way to add water into her diet using the beet pulp, which can go a long way to prevent um, colic in horses that have uh, poor teeth. Um, I would also suggest possibly flaxseed that could be added as a source of additional fatty acids and calories. And there are also some commercial supplements out there, and she can pretty much pick, her, pick and choose on those that can be mixed with um, water and also assist with weight gain. So lots of options out there for her mare. Okay. And our next question, Dr. Little, is from Nancy in Wichita, Kansas, and she wanted to know if you see flaxseed as a way to improve uh, a PPID horse's health condition. Yeah, flaxseed's kind of getting some uh, attention as far as nutrition goes in horses right now. Uh, flaxseed is a, a, an excellent uh, feed stuff to put in, a, in a, an equine diet. It's rich in protein, and one of the classic clinical signs of PPID is muscle wasting and muscle atrophy. And so replenishing some protein in the diet can be a uh, a good idea. Uh, flaxseed also contains omega-3 fatty acids, so it can uh, add uh, quite a bit of fat to the diet. Um, the seed of the flaxseed uh, holds a lot of water, which can also help keep the digestive tract uh, uh, healthy and also, again, can be helpful in preventing colic in some of these older horses with PPID or horses with you know, decreased digestive function for some reason. So um, flaxseed on the human side has been implicated in uh, improving immune response. We certainly don't have that data in horses, but that could be an added benefit benefit um, that we're just not aware of yet. But yes, there could be benefits to using flaxseed in the diet. Absolutely. Um, we have a follow-up question, Dr. McFarland, from uh, Andrea in France. Um, and Andrea is asking about parasites, um, which we talked about uh, several questions ago. She wants to know if horses with people PID that have higher fecal egg counts will improve as they're treated. So will those fecal, fecal egg counts become more normalized after they're on percent? Do you have any input or data on that? Um, no, actually, that's a, an excellent question and a study that we absolutely need to do, um, but it has not yet been done. So we don't know. In theory, it should um, because 
we do know that we improve their immune function when we put them on um, Persend and that we see less of the other infectious diseases, but we haven't done fecal egg counts pre and post being on Persend. Okay. And we have a follow-up question on the supplement questions that we've um, just talked about. This is from Lori in New Jersey. And Dr. Little or Dr. McFarland, whichever one of you wants to jump in and answer this, you're welcome to. Uh, she wants to know, are there any supplements or supplement ingredients that a horse with PPID should not have? Is there anything that would concern you? Hmm. Well, I guess off the top of my head, I can't think of yeah. anything that's contraindicated that would be in a typical supplement that she should be avoiding. So, no, I'd have to say not. Okay. Um, our next question is for Dr. Little. Um, and uh, it's from Donna in New York. And Donna says that she has a 28-year-old PPID gelding that's on um, Pergolide. And is it Thyro-L? Is that the, the other uh, yeah. for thyroid support. Um, she said that he still never fully sheds out in the summer and that she has to uh, clip him or body clip him in June and again in the fall. Is there any way to make his coat normal again or is this something that she'll have to do for the rest of his life? Yeah, and uh, the, I would love to have a little bit more information about her horse, but since hair coat should improve with adequate treatment, I would perhaps suggest retesting her horse and just make sure that um, he's on the proper dose of medication. Uh, make sure he's also getting his medication, which can be a problem, uh, particularly in boarding situations or if somebody else is responsible for um, uh, giving the pergolide. That's a common issue. I would also, again, as we've already referenced, make sure that uh, deworming is as it should be and the horse is on a regular deworming program, which can assist with uh, uh, proper hair coat and a healthy hair coat. Um, I would also focus on the diet. Make sure that the diet is a balanced diet with adequate protein and vitamins and minerals. And lastly, Donna does not mention the source of pergolide in her question, but I would be generally cautious about what source of pergolide and reevaluate that if that needs to be changed to the approved form. Um, so those are just some suggestions I would make. Okay. Um. Dr. McFarlane, we got lots of questions about from people asking about life expectancy and quality of life for their horses with uh, Cushing's. We have Linda in Connecticut says that she has a 13-year-old gelding who's just diagnosed um, after a bout of laminitis. She said so far he's been free of clinical signs except for the heavier than normal winter coat. She says how long uh, will Cushing's affect or how will Cushing's affect his life expectancy? He's only 13 years old. Uh, we also have a question from Wendy, who's in Alberta, Canada, and she wants to know that without medication, what is the life expectancy of a horse with a Cushing's diagnosis? It's kind of hard when you first get that diagnosis and, and you don't know what you're looking at in the future. Uh, do you have any insight for these owners? Uh, yes, yeah, so this is a common question, um, and I will say that Linda's horse is quite young to have already the diagnosis, so she is looking at a, a much longer um, time frame than we usually deal with. Most of the horses are diagnosed as they're in their later teens or recognized with clinical signs in their later teens. 
But the good news is that horses with PPID can live quite a long time and can have a quite high quality of life if we can get them well managed and avoid the complications we've talked about. So the major things that we need to um, avoid are the infectious disease problems that we discussed, as well as if they are a horse with the insulin dysregulation, the laminitis. And if these two things primarily can be well controlled, which is going to happen most efficiently when they are on the drug, on um, pergolide, um, but also through very good management of the animal. When these are regulated and well controlled, horses with PPID can live a very good quality of life and live quite long. I've had horses with this condition that I have gone to see that are in their 40s. And so it's not necessarily going to shorten life expectancy, but it is important that the owner be as proactive at recognizing problems and get their vet out as quickly as possible because you do not want to be dealing with an infectious disease problem or a laminitis problem um, after it's well established. It's It's important to have as optimal management as possible and then when that is provided and um, particularly when they're treated with the drug and regulate it with the drug, they can have a, a equally long life expectancy as an unaffected horse. So I have to ask Dr. McFarland, what's mm-hmm. the oldest horse that you've ever met? Mine's probably been a mid-40s, so 45. So okay. I haven't had the 51-year-old, which is the record, but um, I've, got, I've had them in the mid-40s, and they're just cute as pie. <laughs> well, well, a 40-year-old with PPID, that gives a lot of hope to a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and, and well. very, very happy horse, very happy horse. Um, so it was not – when he ended up – um, being euthanized, it was not a quality of life issue until right the last little tiny bit of his life where he started to drop really bad weight. But So you can have a full, long life, your horse can, with PPID. Okay. And I've almost run us out of time. We have uh, about three minutes left. I'm going to see if we can get a couple more in uh, that might be quick answer type questions. Um, Dr. McFarlane, Mia in Sweden wants to know if a horse with PPID will can feel discomfort because of the increased size of the pituitary gland. Um, Do you have any information on that? I don't have any direct information, but they don't show any signs that they have any uh, discomfort from the the enlarged pituitary. They they don't show any indication that their head has any pain. So my um, impression is no. They also have the hormones that are high with PPID, are anti-inflammatory and analgesic, so they they actually feel pretty good. Um, So, no, I do not think the the enlargement of the pituitary itself is painful. Um, We have a question from Mary in Pennsylvania, Dr. McFarlane, and she wants to know if PPID can affect a horse's eyesight. There are a few reports, but we've not ever proven that it directly affects eyesight. But 90% of old horses have an eye lesion. There's something that can be seen that's abnormal in their eye. So old horses will have vision problems. And so I think it's important with your old horses to really watch um, the eyes. They will heal corneal ulcers slower if they have PPID. So if they get an injury of their eye, it's going to be slower to heal. But um, as far as changing their ability to see, that's probably age more than PPID. Okay. 
And Dr. Little, we have a question that's come in from Cynthia in our live audience. And Cynthia is in Sacramento, California. And she wants to know if it's important to give pergolide at the same time each day or do you have some flexibility with that? I think you have flexibility with that. Um, I would give it at whatever's most convenient. There's no, um, there's no recommendation that it has to be given in the morning or the evening. And so really it just depends on what's most convenient for you and what's most uh, uh, tolerated and accepted by your horse. Okay. And so our next question is um, for Dr. McFarlane, and I think this is going to have to be our last one of the evening, um, but this one, I have an idea what your answer is going to be <laughs> on it. And so, um, so I want to make sure we get this out um, because I think it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, so uh, Sarah in the UK wants to know if you have noticed an increase in ligament and tendon injuries in horses with PPID. And if so, are they um, slower to recover? Uh, do you have any, any input on these horses injuring themselves? We don't really have an indication that the disease causes um, more problems with ligaments and tendons, but you do need to warn um, or be, be wary that if you start to treat your horse with, who has PPID and they've been very lethargic with the disease and then you give them pergolide and they feel good, don't turn them out just right away because we've had um, a number of people say that they've injured themselves feeling like they were uh, eight-year-olds again going out and um, kind of carrying on in the pasture on their own. So you need to be careful that you rehab your horse. Be sure that they are warmed up well if you're going to exercise them, if you treat them with pergolide because you're going to feel like a lot younger than their body is. So um, that is the one place I've heard of some injuries. Yeah. Well, I love ending on that note and having this um, mental picture of these old horses galloping around their pastures and feeling good after treatment. Picking up their heels. So with that, I want to ask each of you before we close if you have any final thoughts on managing and treating horses with PPID. And I'll start with you, Dr. Little. Well, first off, I would like to commend uh, all the listeners tonight for being proactive at uh, learning more about this disease, and I think that is the one most important thing you can do to help your horse over the long term. Um, you see your horse every day. You know him better than anyone else. Uh, learn the subtle signs of PPID and talk to your veterinarian about earlier diagnosis. The earlier we recognize this disease and the earlier we manage it, as we've talked about tonight, the better quality of life our horses will have. Okay. And Dr. McFarlane? Um, I'd reiterate everything that Dr. Little just said, and I think these horses have um, a great opportunity to do very well. I've been around them, as I said, for 12 years. I've had herds of horses with PPID, and I think they have a lot left to give, so I think it's fabulous how many people are interested in learning more about it and taking care of these older um, horses uh, optimally, so okay. that's what I think I'd add. Well, I know we've been receiving a ton of questions during this live event, lots of what we weren't able to get to. Hopefully, we hit on some highlights during this last hour. I want to remind everyone listening that we have gone through uh, the editorial staff of the horse and created a page with some PPID 
uh, resources that might be able to help you out. And that is at thehorse.com slash PPID. And you can find those resources there. I want to thank everyone uh, for joining us tonight and listening live. Thank you for all of your great questions. Uh, I hope that it helps you better care for your horses. Uh, Dr. Little and Dr. McFarlane, thank you so much for joining us. Great answers to these questions. And thank then you. I... And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Beringer Ingelheim. I want everyone to know that, as always, this live event will be archived on the site uh, as soon as this evening. So if you want to listen again and pick up on the highlights, go ahead and visit thehorse.com. Thank you for joining us, and I hope that you can join us next month. Thank you. <laughs>